My dog went flying through the air over the trees. I don't know how it did it. Okay. Damn it, I'm really confused. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence and Nate was dead when she hit the ground. I didn't see any cars. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence. Uh, we got someone or something crawling around out here. Did you see what it was? Was it a person or an animal or? Jesus Christ, you better. Sir? Yeah. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh-oh. Okay, hang on. He's right. Is he in your yard, sir? Yeah, he's gone. He's big. Okay, what's he doing in your yard? He's looking at me. Hello there, citizen scientists. Happy Halloween to all of you listening in. And welcome to the show, everybody. This is Bigfoot in the Citizen Scientist Podcast. And I'm your host, Tyler. I want to thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or story you'd like to share with me, email me at sciencemeetsbigfoot at gmail.com. Or if you're listening on anchor.fm, hit that message button and send me in a voice message with your happenings or just to say hi. Today, we have a special treat. I spent a lot of time on this project here, and I'm very anxious to get it out to you. So without further delay, welcome to my Halloween special, 2020. A big black figure, it's different color than the than the black, than the, the normal night surrounding me. In the Northwest, it's, it scared the crap out of me. The legend dates back really generations. And he said this thing basically looked at him. Talked to people who spent a lot of time in these woods. He said it had kind of a, a monkey face. And you'll hear the stories. And then he said it had a weird smell. Bigfoot. And he an kind icon, of walked towards it. A mystery, a mascot. Well, I'm definitely open to Bigfoot. Um, What's the world without a little wonder, right? Here in the foothills of the Cascades is Jim Creek Recreation Area, 5,000 acres of protected military land. We're in this beautiful, lush, kind of private, um, secure area. It has a lot of mystery to it. There's great potential for if there's, there's going to be something, um, that this would be the place. Squatching deep into the hinterlands, Jim Creek wilderness area. This is where very few humans tread. Although it has been said that Bigfoot does roam. The signs don't lie. Sasquatch is here. We're really promoting kind of a more of a friendlier Sasquatch instead of a scarier Sasquatch. But that's just the beginning. For decades, there have been countless reports of encounters with something deep in these woods, something big, something that can't be explained. This is a great spot for Sasquatch to be. So we brought John Ray, a Bigfoot field researcher, to investigate. I do investigate when other people say they have seen something. 
because I've had experiences. Uh, I've, I've had a sighting. My kids have had sightings. We tracked this thing from where it hit the trailer around and through this open field and out into the forest again. Just a, a massive creature, it seems like. It's David out. Grant is a scientist. It appears that that thumb that made it moved up through the mud or substrate, and then when it was taken out, it left that cavity, and you can see the thumb print. So the thumbnail is right there. An archaeologist, anthropologist. All of the evidence seems to be lining up. And Bigfoot enthusiast. It's more in line with these fingers, and it's wrapping or curling around something like that. Um, and so a, a hand like that would make a print like this. Fascinated by the mystery. Are you open-minded? By the questions that don't have answers. So as an anthropologist, I just can't see how any, it's more, more of a mystery how anybody would not be interested in this topic. Plus, it's a good way to get in the woods and meet good, crazy people. And I must be one of them, because here I am. BFRO report number one. Year 2011. Season winter. Month February. Date 15. State Idaho. County Lataw. Location details. The last curve in the highway before Wigand Private Road. The nearest town, Polish, Idaho. Nearest road, Highway 95. Observed. In February of 2011, I was traveling down Highway 95 between Potlatch and Tents, Idaho, between 12 a.m. and 2 a.m. It was wooded pasture off to the right side of the highway, an open grass pasture and creek on the left. I was driving into a curve before Wagon Private Road when approximately 40 to 50 feet in front of me, I saw a very large, dark form walked straight across the highway, right to left. I assumed it was a human, so I slowed to a full stop in the middle of the highway, which was empty both directions. It was at this point that I realized that I could not see this person off the side of the highway or out in the grass pasture to my left. I had my high beams on, and the area was very well lit from that. I developed an awful sense of dread and immediately hit the gas and headed for home which was about five to six miles away. I was so bothered by this event that I continually checked my rearview mirror, fully expecting to see something horrible or have something horrible happen to me. Once I got home, I bolted into the house, turned all the lights on, and woke my family up. They kind of laughed it off, but my dog crawled up into my lap and whined and cried at me and wouldn't leave my side. I definitely didn't sleep that night and started avoiding driving the highway so late at night. It wasn't until later that I really started to process the details of what had happened. I realized that I saw someone, very distinctly bipedal, walk across the highway. I remember the walking motion of the legs and the slight swinging motion of the arms. I also realized that while I had my high beams on, the figure was completely black. No reflection from clothing, shoes, or even a shadow thrown onto the highway. The other thing that very much bothered me was that I had never took my eyes off what had happened, 
but somewhere between the figure walking across the highway and walking off the side, it disappeared. I definitely should have been able to see something walking down the side of the ditch or into the pasture, but it was completely empty. It took me quite some time to come to terms with what happened, and even longer before I admitted to myself that it may have been a Sasquatch-related sighting. I have recently been compelled to report this specific sighting due to the fact that recently a woman claimed to have seen a Sasquatch right before hitting a deer in almost the same exact area in a similar time frame, but she's been made into a joke in the local news. I don't know if she actually saw Sasquatch, but I find it a very, very odd coincidence that it happened in that area of the highway and in the same time frame. Let me start out that I am not an unbalanced person. As a matter of fact, I am a retired law enforcement officer from Southern California. Here's my story. My father was a very good man. I always took my brother and I, along with other cousins, fishing, camping, or nature trips. We have been to the high Sierras many times and felt very comfortable there. I cannot remember the exact campground in 1968 we were camped at, but it had a beautiful river there. Later I found out after my father had passed, it was near Bridgeport. Well, late one night, I felt the urgent need to relieve myself, so I got up and unzipped the tent cover. My father stated, let me go with you. Well, I was a big boy at about 10 years old and had my pocket knife and an old army flashlight that belonged to my dad, so I insisted I go by myself. He said okay, but he told me not to go far, so I walked over to a nearby bush. As I started to relieve myself, I heard a noise and looked up and saw what looked to me like a large, hairy face looking at me. Just then I heard movement behind me and saw father standing behind me saying that he needed to go as well. Months later, I told my father about it and he told me not to worry 
We were not going back there. And future camping trips were going to be down in Baja, California because we had a dune buggy to try out. Now here's the kicker. After retiring, I found a book called Tribal Bigfoot written by an ex-cop from San Jose who was researching this topic. I had little knowledge on the subject, so I wanted to learn more as I read the book. I was shocked to see one of the sketches of these beings. I froze in my chair. My daughter noticed that my expression had changed and asked me what was wrong. I told her I think I've seen a ghost. One of the sketches looked exactly like the face I saw that night. My hair stood up on the back of my neck. My wife thought I was having a breakdown, but wow. I have since been reading more on the subject and found that the area around Bridgeport has had a history of sightings and disappearances. BFRO report number two. Year, 1974. Season, summer. Month, June. State, Oregon. County, Clackamas. Location details. The woods are located behind Skyline Mobile Park, off Sandy Heights Road. If you turn into the trailer park and head straight to the end, then walk through the drain field, you will see the woods. There is a small stream at the bottom of the hill through the woods called Tickle Creek. Those are the woods we used to spend a lot of time in and the ones we had the sightings in. I haven't been there in years so I'm not too sure what the area is like now. I do know that Sandy has grown incredibly over the last 26 years. Observed. About a week or two after summer vacation started between my 8th and 9th grade year, my brother and I walked down into the woods not too far from our house on the outskirts of Sandy, Oregon. There was a trail that was used by kids in the area to get down into the woods, and a little way off the trail, my brother and I had hauled a little wood and built a little platform about six feet up in the crook of a tree. That day, around noon, we were in the platform shooting our BB gun at a tall stump that was just a little ways downhill from where we were. My brother turned around as I was preparing to fire, and just as I was ready to shoot the BB gun, something with a human-like head passed right in front of the tall stump. The trees and brush obscured everything but the head, but I got a good look at it. It had brown fur over almost all of the head, but not dark brown, just a little darker than cinnamon color. The kind of flat nose and the hair slash fur was not too long. It walked by and disappeared into the brush almost without making a sound. There was a very heavy bed of needles from the Douglas fur all over. It happened so suddenly and so fast that I didn't have a chance to get scared. I called my brother's name and he turned in time to see some of the branches still swaying. We stood there and talked about it for a few minutes and then carefully went down to where it passed in front of me and figured that it had to have been about seven and a half feet tall. After this, I went to my former eighth grade science teacher who happened to live in the neighborhood. This was a town of about 1,200 people at the time, and told him about it. He was very skeptical and gave me numerous things that he thought I'd seen. He obviously didn't believe I had seen a Sasquatch. Later that same day, around dusk, my brother and I were sitting on the trail not too far from the tree fort that I had seen it from earlier in the day, talking about it. Suddenly, I'm not sure what made him do it, but he looked over at the platform that we had built about 20 to 30 yards away, and his face turned white as a ghost. I looked over there and saw a silhouette of a man looking at us, head and shoulders, from behind our tree fort. Since it was dusk, we weren't able to make out any features, just the outline. 
Also, we both jumped up and ran to the rest of the way home, scared half out of our wits. The second sighting we had that day, the creature didn't seem anything but curious about us, but it still scared us. Two years later, I was down in the woods, and almost midnight, I had left something down there the previous day, heard footsteps coming towards me and a huffing noise, almost like a horse blowing. I dropped my flashlight and ran home in record time. We looked for footprints after the first sighting, but due, I believe, to the ground cover, we found none. Also noticed, nothing that I haven't already mentioned. Other witnesses, myself and my brother, just standing around, not talking. Other stories, I have heard of several sightings in the North Cascades, but nothing specific. Environment, mostly Douglas fir trees, some deciduous trees, soft ground cover of fir needles, hilly terrain.
I live in uh, East Jefferson County, uh, Washington State. Um, I grew up in this area, spent most of my life around here in different parts of Western Washington. And I did live for a few years up in Alaska when I was growing up too. In the year 2000, I was a police officer for the Lapush tribe, which is, or the Quileute tribe on the coast, uh, which is west of Forks by probably about 15 or 16 miles. And uh, I happened to be driving into work one evening about 7 p.m. In, Ju in a July, in July, and, uh, and one just happened to walk across the road in front of my car. I was about 50 to 70 yards from it, and uh, it was daylight. It was about 7 p.m. in July, but during that time of year in July, it's pretty well light at 7 p.m. And I was coming into work for my shift, and I was coming down the hill into La Push, past the two housing areas, uh, right by um, First Beach, which would be the beach right on the push. And Lonesome Creek comes out there. And there's a little hatchery, and just beyond that, there's a little store on the left and the campground on the beach. 
and uh, one came out of the brush right at Lonesome Creek, crossed the road and hit the fence on the hatchery and kept going. So it went right at the edge of it. And at that time, La Push was different. They had not enhanced everything along the road to the left on the water side. It was just brush. At first, you know, it was just huge and it was all dark and bushy looking, no neck. And uh, it didn't even look at me. It didn't walk in a human gait. It kind of glided across the road is the way I would best describe it. No head bob or anything like that, and it took about four steps, cleared the road. It wasn't moving, it wasn't running or anything, it was just walking, but it was walking swiftly. You see something like that, it just doesn't, immediately your mind starts working to try to fit it into a box of a known thing to yourself. And... Um, I just kept going around and around, and ultimately I knew what it was. I wasn't a believer in anything like that before that had happened. But I couldn't place it anywhere, and uh, I knew what it was, but I, logically it, that didn't make any sense. It couldn't be that. And so I tried to go round and round. I stopped my car in the middle of the road, and this all happened quickly, you know. And I was frightened, nervous right away when I saw it because it was just a shock. And... Uh, I knew what it was. I mean, it was, you know, thick from chest to back. I mean, probably like that I would expect. I, m my description would be, as far as size, was probably somewhere around 8 feet and maybe 800 pounds. It didn't, it didn't look human. It, was, it just did not move in a human way. Uh, and it was big. And it wasn't wearing any clothes. It was clearly all the same color from head to toe. No shoes, no nothing. And it, you know, it, was, it was large, and it was the kind of thing that there's obvious markers in the movement of it that makes you identify that it's not a human being. It's something else. And so you're trying to classify it into some known category, but you can't do it and so, because it just doesn't fit. It's just visually there in front of you, and it, it doesn't fit with anything that you're comfortable in, in knowing that exists. It's something outside of that realm. I drove right down to the office, which was about another mile and a half probably there, and there was a county deputy there, and two of my coworkers were there. And uh, I walked in, and I kind of looked shooken up, I think, and they asked me, what happened to you? And I said, you'll never believe what just happened. I said, I just seen a Bigfoot at Lonesome Creek. And they kind of laughed at me. and, and uh, the deputy did, and, and they were kind of taken back a bit. And uh, after we talked for a little while, one of my other coworkers had told me that uh, him and one of the guy was actually giving me a lot of trouble. They were up four wheel, and they used to have a four wheel drive club in town where they had Suzuki Samurais. And this was back in you know around 2000, at in 2000, and uh, they had been up in the Klawa drainage, which is outside of Forks, and they had found two sets of tracks, and they all told each other they weren't going to tell anybody. But then we went back, uh, where I didn't go with him because I was too afraid. But the guy who was telling me that, he went back and tried to find tracks where I had seen it and couldn't find anything. There was another sighting uh, that happened at the Ho River oh, a few weeks before that. It was called the Gene Sampson incident where they had an incident outside his house and there was a bunch of documented footprints and everything like that down there. And it's only about 10 miles south of there. Okay. And not that they, they may or may not be related, the two incidents, but no, I wasn't involved in Bigfoot research or anything like that at all after that. I, I kind of, it changed my behavior because I spent a lot of time in the woods out there by myself. I fished all the time. 
mostly alone, and I went to a lot of remote places on the peninsula where I'd walk miles and miles with no trails and stuff, just on the river, steelhead fishing and stuff like that. And, and uh, after I'd seen it, I felt really vulnerable because there was a realization that something that wasn't supposed to be real was real. And this thing is big and powerful and humanoid, potentially very intelligent, you know, and it just made me realize that if something like this was out there and it wanted to make you disappear, that it could. And there was absolutely nothing that you could do to stop that from happening. For a long time, for a matter of years, I really didn't want to go anywhere alone or I wouldn't go very far uh, by myself just because I was aware of that. And, and you got to keep in mind that this is something that isn't real. It's not supposed to be there, you know. You know. And I also, right away afterwards, I felt betrayal. I felt as if I was being betrayed because I obviously wasn't the first professional to see something like this, you know. And uh, I wanted to know. I mean, I didn't pursue it at all, but I felt like I had just seen this thing, and this wasn't the only one. And I wasn't the only one to see it, you know, and why is it a secret? How come we're, we don't know about this? You can call me stupid. Yes, you can call me sheep. You can say I lay BFRO Report Number 3 Year, 1993 Season, Summer Month, June State, Oregon County, Clackamas Location Details At our cabin on Still Creek Road, 
lot 18, outside Rhododendron, Oregon. Nearest town, Rhododendron. Nearest road, Highway 26. Observed. About 11 years ago, my fiancé and I had a cabin on Mount Hood in Oregon State. We were in the roofing business, and I was sorting out some cedar shakes outside the cabin. I had my Rottweiler tied to a tree. She started growling and looking toward the forest. I looked up and saw something big and hairy step from tree to tree. They have huge cedars in there. It did not register at first what I was seeing, so I yelled for whatever was in there to leave or I would turn the dog loose. It stepped behind another tree and kept doing so repeatedly. I finally called my kids and told them to come out and keep an eye on this thing while I got my work done. I usually have a Mossberg semi-automatic shotgun, but I did not this day. It was moving in closer, and then my boyfriend pulled up, and it was gone. It was then that I realized it wasn't a bear we were watching. Also noticed. In winter, we found large barefoot tracks in the snow. Would smell a really rotten smell like something dead, and come out later, and the smell would be gone. The dogs would sit and just stare at the woods would hear weird animal noises like a growl and howl together. Other witnesses. Three, my 11-year-old daughter, my 11-year-old stepson, and myself. They were in the cabin. I was outside sorting shingles. Other stories. The manager of the motel in Rhododendron was hiking with her very large dog, and it went after something and disappeared. They followed the tracks where the prince just stopped like someone picked up the dog, which this dog was too big to do. Hours later, it came home all bloody. It was not bleeding and did not have a mark on it where it fought something. There have been many stories around that particular hiking trail. Time and conditions. Late afternoon, sunny day. Environment. Evergreen forest with large old growth cedars. Eight miles below the summit, government camp. Follow-up investigation report by BFRO investigator Dr. Wolf H. Fahrenbach. The witness described the animal as hairy, bipedal, and between six and a half and seven foot tall. It was 100 to 150 feet from the witness and appeared to try to get closer to the action while at the same time trying to stay out of sight behind trees. It left at an accelerated walk or trot. The family repeatedly heard weird sounds, a combination of yodel and growl. The witness also commented on the abrupt appearance and disappearance of the rotten aroma. In addition, the witness mentioned that one evening they heard three police reports on their scanner, which referred to a, quote, alien standing on the road near Rhododendron. One motorist claimed to have collided with the figure. BFRO Report Number 4 Year 2008 Season Summer Month August Date 10 State Oregon County Clackamas County Location Details Little fuzzy as to the exact details, but I do know that we took Highway 224 through Estacada 
and continued east for at least another hour, then ended up on, I believe, Forest Road 43. Although after that, we took the Bagby Hot Springs Road and several logging roads later found our first campsite at the end of one of these logging roads. Nearest town, Estacada. Nearest road, Forest Road 43. Observed. Near the end of August 2008, a couple of friends and I went camping Bigfoot hunting around the upper Colawash River in the Oregon Cascade Range east of Estacada with the intentions of finding a spot I had been told about by a guide on a whitewater rafting trip I had taken with my brother in 2006. Unfortunately, when we got to our destination, I was the only one in our group that wanted to look for Bigfoot. Disappointed, but not dissuaded, I tried to keep the rest of the group, two guys and one girl, at least somewhat interested in the Bigfoot search, to little avail. The first night, we camped under much protest, quite away into the bush and away from the overcrowded campgrounds where everyone felt more comfortable. We followed an old logging road until it ended at a very secluded spot atop a ridge and maybe 250 to 350 yards, directly south of the clear-cut power lines, running east to west. The first night was interesting as we continued to hear distinct wood knocking. They started at around 11 p.m., most were far off and very fast, four to seven quick, sharp cracks directly east of us that would echo across the valley, only to be answered from another direction farther south and then north, but at first they were pretty far off. Everyone thought they were gunshots, but this was a really dark night, and these sounds were coming from pretty deep in the thick forest, accessed only by not well-traveled logging roads and from at least three different sources that, for the life of me, Sounded like they were communicating, so I ruled out gunshots. These sounds continued to get closer to our campsite as the night wore on. At one point, maybe 12.30 or 1 a.m., the group wanted to drive over to the power lines, where the trees weren't so thick and you could see for several miles. I decided to stay at camp and hope for something to happen. Almost immediately after everyone left, I started hearing sticks breaking from the direction they had driven out on and everything got real quiet. Now I'm from Montana and I have spent many a night camped alone in far more rugged mountains than I was in now and have experienced most of the wildlife, at least partially up close and personal, that our American forests have to offer. But I gotta tell you, I got a little spooked. I did what any self-respecting outdoorsman would do and put a lot more wood on the fire. I didn't hear anything at that time that sounded too bizarre, but I was glad when everyone got back. My buddy asked me if I was knocking rocks together while they were gone. I told him I hadn't and asked what they heard. He said that they were out looking at the valley from the top of the road we came in on, about 250 to 350 yards away, and they all heard distinct knocking coming from the direction of our camp. He said it sounded like rock on rock. Later, after everyone had gone to their tents, I again decided to stay up. At around 3.30 a.m., I heard a very low grumble with a huff followed by what sounded like a lot of breath being pushed out in very close to the fire, maybe 30 feet. At first, I thought it was a bird or something. Then, almost immediately, another answered the first from across the clearing we were camped in, directly behind me. I put my flashlight on where I heard the sound coming from, and it would stop. 
Ten minutes later, it would start up again. I don't know why I didn't get anyone up to listen with me, but I didn't. This went on for about an hour, until the sun started to brighten the sky and you could see a lot better. I never heard walking or any more sticks breaking, but those grunting noises were definitely close and they were at least two of whatever was making them. It wasn't until on our way home that my buddy told me that he had heard the grunts too, and I loved this. He was too scared to get up and investigate. The next day we went looking for another campground. I didn't want to leave, but I was definitely the minority on the subject. As we were driving down, I believe it was Forest Road 43, my buddy and I and his rig and his friends behind us and theirs, something very big ran across the road about 150 yards in front of us. It was dark brown or black and uniform in color and at least 8 foot to 9 foot tall and moving like a freight train. It was huge. We only saw it for maybe a second before it tore into the trees running from right to left. My skeptical buddy looked at me and said, Did you see that? I had my video camera in my lap, but there was no way I could have gotten a shot of this thing. It was really moving. We stopped where we thought it crossed the road, and you could see quite clearly where something had came down the incline on the right side of the road. We didn't smell anything. We got out and I climbed the small incline that it had come down to investigate, and after 30 minutes or so, found a barefoot track, 18 inches long by 7.5 inches wide, and got video of it. I can send you the video and have other stories of the area as well. We did have material to cast the print, but since it was in the mossy ground that covers most of the Oregon forest, my buddy refused to cast the print claiming that we wouldn't get anything from it. I was furious, but it was his stuff, and I learned the hard way to pack your own gear. Also noticed, when I climbed the incline after we saw the thing across the road, something tore off away from me, which would have been headed southwest into the forest when I peaked the incline. Very noisy. Also, the track I found was definitely older. I don't think it was made at that time of the sighting. There were many other partial tracks in the general area, some quite large, others just looked like scuff marks. The one I videotaped was without question the best one we found. It looks like a giant footprint in the moss, five toes. Other witnesses. To the first incident, all four of us heard the wood knocking for several hours. Then the grunting huffing was heard by both my skeptical buddy and myself, two total. The other two were sleeping. Second incident, both my skeptical buddy and I saw the thing run across the road. The other two were behind us and didn't see it, but everyone saw the 18-inch track. Other stories. There are several stories that quite frankly were the reason that we went to this area to begin with. Time and conditions. First incident started at around 11 p.m. and lasted until about 5 a.m. Dark, mostly clear night cool around 45 to 50 degrees. Second incident was the following day at around 11.30 a.m. clear and sunny beautiful day. The trees were providing a lot of shadow, but we were both sure of what we saw. Trying not to speak, pretend that I'm dreaming 
BFRO report number five. Year, 83 or 84. Season, summer. Month, August. Date, 15. State, Oregon. County, Wayne County. Nearest town, Elmira. Nearest road, unknown. Observed. I was staying the summer with an older cousin and his wife in the summer of 1983 or 1984. I was 13 or 14 at the time. They lived in the mountains somewhere out of Elmira. My cousin and his wife were new to Oregon. They had recently moved there from Bakersfield, California. My cousin was wanting to do some scouting as deer season was soon coming up, so one morning we packed a lunch and headed out into the forest from his house. In this area, there was only one paved road, and in the direction we headed, there was only one dirt road that soon ended. 
There was a fairly good hiking trail that we traveled on for, maybe an hour and a half. Then we came upon a smaller, less traveled path that we stayed on for a good 45 minutes. Stopping now and again on the edge of a small clearing, the forest became too thick to see very far at all. So we decided to try and make about 30 to 40 minutes of dead-end game trails. We had gotten high enough that the forest started to thin a bit. We came to a small clearing that gave us a slight view of the valley below. We decided that we had gone far enough and decided to stop there and eat before turning back. It wasn't but just a moment after getting our food out and sitting back on an old log that we heard some rustling and snapping of twigs, which seemed like just out of our sight in the dense forest. By the sound of the twigs, we both knew this couldn't be a rabbit or any small animal. My cousin instantly turned and whispered, Bear. We were still for about one minute, then confused. Then came identical noises from the opposite side of the clearing. This really confused me as the sounds were rather loud and I didn't see how it could have moved to the other side of the clearing without his hearing. My cousin then whispered, two bears. He then whispered, they smell the food. Just then, there was a loud snap in the area of the second noises. The thing that was most frightening was the loudest of the cracking. I thought this was one huge bear. Over the next two minutes, I was terrified as the snapping and breaking of what must have been large branches changed position around the clearing, but never did the noise come simultaneously from the same spot. Not until I heard the shot did I see my cousin with the snub nose 38 pointed into the air. As soon as he fired, there came a loud, powerful roar that started low in pitch and ended very high. It was a warning, and I will never forget. As soon as this powerful yell, scream, bellow, ended, we were on our feet running in the direction we had come from. After about 50 yards to our horror, there came another yell, and I was sure this thing was following us. We began running full speed. I instantly started getting scratched and stuck by the thick forest. We were running downhill, and at about 150 to 200 yards, there it was again, screaming. It seemed so close but we never saw anything. No movement, shadow, shape, nothing. We were now running as fast as we possibly could, not on a path. I can only describe it as reckless abandon. Several times I lost my feet and rolled and dove through ferns, trees, and thorny bushes. I became separated from my cousin, but never slowed up as this scream would repeat approximately every 20 seconds. Once back on the trail, my cousin emerged about 50 feet from me. We still ran for what must have been a mile before this thing let up and started giving us some distance. But every time we started to stop, or even slow, it would yell as if to say, not yet, get going. It was the tiredest I had ever been. My lungs and throat were way past hurting. I was so tired, I was dizzy. I felt as if I would pass out at any moment. We made it back to the house where his wife waited at the door. Having heard the shots and the screams, I was ripped to shreds from the forest. My cousin refused to believe it was something like Bigfoot, although he knew it was no bear. He thought it was some pissed off crazy mountain man. I knew there wasn't a man alive that could have kept up with us, let alone make that noise. I only went outside two more times. 
and the next week I was there, once to go to the library, and then to the train to go home. We went to the library to research what this could have been. My cousin said it was a panther, but I don't think he actually believed this. He wouldn't let me talk to anyone about it. Also noticed, the scream to me gave me feeling that I was in a place I was not supposed to be, and that I better leave and never come back. Other witnesses. Two, we were hiking. Other stories. I have never been back to this area. Time and conditions. This occurred in the early afternoon. The weather was warm for the area, and I remember that there had not been as much rain as normal. But I recall it was hazy, and the area of the clearing was kind of in a shadow from the mountain. Environment. Very thick forest on the side of the mountain. Follow-up investigation report. A witness described the area as wooded and quiet. The day was overcast. He told me that he and his cousins had stopped for lunch at a small clearing. The sounds of twigs breaking started as soon as their own feet were quiet. He said it sounded like they were surrounded. They would first hear a snap on one side of them, then the other. However, the witness's feeling is that it was one animal, making it seem as though there was a second. He is not sure how he could not have seen what was chasing him. Concerning the vocalization, he told me that it started low and grew in intensity. The witness said that it conveyed to him that he was in no way supposed to be there. He wanted to cut his stay at his cousin's home short leaving not long after this. His cousin continues to brush the incident off. If you don't want to see my face, don't walk alone. Ba-da-da-da-da 
The cats are running, it's the Halloween. But if you touch my heart with candies, maybe I change my point of view and go back to the land of witches or hide you far away from you. But if you touch my heart with candies, maybe I change my point of view and go back to the land of witches. Hide it far away from you Destination Mystery paints the story for paranormal content, abnormal adventures, and the fun behind the investigations. Each week, Mike and Melissa will bring a new adventure that includes going to some of the most remote places in the West. They will tell the story behind the investigation and share with you the evidence they discover. This is not your regular paranormal show. These episodes will bring new content from locations that no one would think to investigate or explore. We will not only tell the spooky story, we will go to the location where the spooky story originated. Fasten your seatbelts as we take you on an adventure that will make you question what's normal and what's paranormal. In the summer, my wife and I were sleeping and at about 2 a.m. we both woke up and heard something outside our window. We were living at the time on the back side of Mayaka State Park. This area of Mayaka State Park is very desolate, very isolated. Besides your regular wild animals, the only other things that would be walking around would be your Florida marijuana growers in the swamps out here. My wife and I have lived in Florida for 30 years, and both are avid outdoor types. I hung out in these woods in this area for over 20 years and thought I had heard everything. My wife also. Well, anyway, when we woke up and heard something out our window, we had a very strong odor of something coming through our window. My wife and I looked at each other with look on our faces with wonder. We both said at the same time, what the heck is out there? Right as we said that, this thing shrieked almost human sounding, but real wild shrieking. I was going to send our lab and Pitbull after it, but we couldn't get them out of our room, and they have never been scared of anything. Then I went to check on our little girl. She slept through this. When this thing screamed in our window to reach the window from outside, it would have to be at least seven feet tall. We did not dare go outside, especially since our dog wanted no part of whatever it was. This was at night, around 2 a.m. It was not raining. I know it was summer, rainy season for Florida. It was basically swamps, 
and some areas you can walk on, but mostly swamps. Another story was from a lifelong Florida native. He said one night his young son woke him up and said something was at his window. He told him he's just dreaming. A few minutes later, his son said again, Dad, something is at the window. He couldn't believe his son because his house sits up very high off the ground, on blocks for the rainy season. We have here in Florida. This area floods very easily. He told me he went to his son's room and could see on the window something left its breath on the window. It was winter, so he saw some condensation on the window, which sits about seven to eight feet off the ground. Then the dad went and grabbed his shotgun, ran outside with his three hunting dog. He said he saw something very large, standing upright with a very strong odor, run off the backside of his property into a swampy area. He did not shoot at it, for he wasn't sure what it was. He told me his hunting dog were under the house, and it took him a few hours to get his hunting dog to come out from under the house. The direction to this location is out east on Fruitville Road. Go to the end, turn right, and go a few miles. The back entrance to the park is just a few turns in the road away. This area is pretty much swamp. He was an avid hunter and never in his life saw something like that. Also, he said his dogs never have gone to the area this thing ran off to ever again. On to the next one. In 1951, near Boston in Thomas County in Georgia, a woman and her husband had gone outside because her dogs were barking. They saw a giant of a man upright and covered with dark hair cornered by the dog on the front porch. Her husband shot at it and it ran off. The woman also said that her stepfather had found 20-inch footprints outside his cabin in the morning after seeing what he thought was a black man seven feet tall looking in his window during the night. He also claimed to have gone outside with a pistol and fired at the intruder, which ran into the nearby woods. On to the next one. In Atlanta, in Georgia. My father died when I was three years of age. I was the oldest of four children. Our mother decided after the funeral that it would be best to move back home with her parents. In the fall of that year, all four of us were playing in the backyard. We had our first encounter with what we believed to have been a gorilla. It was underneath and inside the house's unfinished basement. I remember tossing rocks at it, but the very large animal only smiled. Being frightened half to death as kids, we ran for our mom. After returning to the scene, there was no trace of a very large gorilla. Also, later on through the years, family members would come across very large footprints and, sometimes, big red eyes looking in the windows at night. I had also noticed half-eaten apples from the tree we had out back. There were some footprints and hairs pulled out from the wire fence east of the house. There were four child witnesses. We were playing in the grass behind the house after school. 
It was in the afternoon and sunny. The area is farmland and pine forest. On to the next one. On Jekyll Island in Glen County in Georgia. I was 17 years old and had just got my driver's license. I was on vacation on Jekyll Island. At the time, it was not very built up at all. It was the 4th of July evening, just after dark. I was with my 10-year-old brother, and we were supposed to be going to the north end of the island to observe the fireworks display. However, I really just wanted to do a lot of driving around. I had turned off the main road, one which circled the perimeter of the island, onto a dirt road. It was rather narrow and winding. As I came around a turn, I saw a creature step out of the woods and onto the road. It stopped as the lights from my car shone on it. It was about five and a half feet tall. It was covered with long hair from head to toe. The hair color seemed almost grayish. It stopped for a moment, then just proceeded to cross the road and go into the woods on the opposite side. No one really believed the story, but my brother does recall being frightened that evening, but nothing more. I never thought too much about it until I saw a show on Bigfoot that mentioned sightings in that area. It was about 9 p.m. on a very clear evening. The area was heavily wooded and somewhat swampy on a dirt road. On to the next one. In Richmond County in Georgia, the sighting was on the wooded area adjacent to the NCO military housing and next to the officer's housing just down a slope area. This was inside the Fort Gordon military base. I can't remember the towns outside Fort Gordon. I know that I was a student at Murphy Junior High School at the time. The school was outside the military base. I was about 14 years old at the time. The year was 1965, while my father, a military NCO basic training instructor, was stationed at Fort Gordon. We were living on the base at the NCO old housing area. There had recently been built a new housing area, but we lived in the old army barracks converted into housing, where four families were accommodated to live in a barrack of four apartments. There were more barracks converted to housing in the same area and wood to the left of the housing that led to some old infantry field no longer in use of dense pine trees. Near these woods, there were two barracks of military police units. One day, the girl from the apartment below informed me that her little brother would tell her that a big man would look through their window at night. The little boy would observe the man looking into the room. To the both of us, this seemed amazing, since the window bottom ledge of the barracks, where we lived, were about seven to eight feet from the ground. It would be impossible for any normal-sized human being to look in the window from that height. I paid no attention to it and soon forgot the story. During the summer vacation, I would enjoy venturing into the woods next to the housing areas with my friends. We would go downwind and get close to a deer as possible just to take a photo or observe the animals without disturbing them. 
I remember one morning my friends were not around, so I decided to go and venture into the woods by myself. As I walked down the slope into the woods and began walking on level ground just about 200 yards at the edge of the woods, I noticed that a bulldozer had just scraped the land next to the officer's housing area. The army was going to make a new housing for the officers in that part of the woods. I also noticed on the red clay of the ground some Bigfoot steps that came from the officer's housing into the edge of the woods where I was walking into. The last footsteps that led into the woods from the red clay were so enormous that I began to observe them. I noticed they were of a person walking barefoot, at least 18 inches in length and about 5 inches wide. The person, or whatever it was, had made the print had a total of five toes. I had never heard of Bigfoot and just thought it was some big person walking around barefoot enjoying the mud. I then went into one of the many trails that led into the woods, and after a few minutes, something seemed not to be right. I did not hear birds, nor did I see any squirrels. Everything seemed to be silent. I could only hear the wind blowing and trees moving in the wind, but no sign of life in the area. This began to give me the goosebumps, as someone or something was watching all my moves. I then sat on a big rock nearby and observed everything around me, and at the same time kept my ears open. Just a few moments went by when I started to hear some heavy, bipedal footsteps in the grass and leaves near me at about 50 feet of distance from where I sat. The grass was very high, and there was lots of brush that did not allow me to see more than 20 feet into the brush area. I guess you can say that my human nature or animal instinct just took over me, telling me to get out from there as fast as possible. I did not waste any time, but controlled myself not to go into panic. I steadily began to walk out of the woods, and as I did, I could hear the heavy bipedal footsteps stalking me from the left, deeper in the woods from where I was at. If I stopped walking, it would stop walking. If I ran a little, it would run a little. And I also became aware that whatever it was would stop walking just a few seconds after I did. In other words, it would stop and begin to walk as I did. As I got closer to the edge of the woods, at the red clay area, whatever was in the woods began to run very fast coming towards me. I then thought it was time to run like heck. I picked up a running speed that surprised me. When I finally got back to the housing area, I was exhausted, trying to get my breath back again, and sat on the porch in front of my house. A friend that lived across the street had observed me and asked what had scared me. He said he saw me running out of the woods as if my butt was on fire. This got me a little upset, and when I finally got all my breath back, I explained the ordeal to him. He just stood there and laughed at me. Since he did not believe me, I made him a challenge to go into the woods with me where I had heard the footsteps. He accepted the challenge and we both returned to the area. While walking down the path near the officer's housing area, I showed him the footprint in the red clay. He observed them leading into the woods and said to me that the prints must be those of the Bigfoot monster. 
I had never heard of it, and told him monsters don't exist. It must be some big hillbillies or hobo person living in that area that does not want us to disturb him. We both went into the same trail I had went into before and sat on the same rock. Shortly after, the same weird sensation got over us. There was total silence, and only the wind and trees moving in the breeze could be heard. Suddenly, the heavy, bipedal footsteps once again began to stalk us in the brush, as it did when I was by myself. I told my friend to walk a little ways and then stop. As we stopped walking, whatever was stalking us would stop also. When I looked at my friend, he seemed to have changed his skin color to almost a tomato red. I knew he was more afraid than I was at that moment. I then told my friend to stop once again and listen to our stalker getting closer. As we stopped, heavy footsteps began to run towards us. We could hear the brush breaking and moving. When I turned around to tell my friend that it was time to start running, he had already began his run and had about a 40-foot lead on me. I did not waste time or look back and ran as close as I could to my friend. When we got back to the housing and sat on my porch trying to get our breath back, he said he had seen something big that moved in the brush. He was not certain what it was. To date, I know it was the Bigfoot creature because of the footprint I had observed earlier in the red clay. I did not smell anything peculiar because we were downwind from it. We did not hear anything except maybe a heavy breathing, if I could remember correctly, and the brush and grass moving about as it came towards us. I will never forget the experience, and because of it, I am especially interested in Bigfoot. I recently read of a soldier in Fort Gordon that also ran into a Bigfoot. This convinced me to write down what happened to me many years before the soldier's incident. It may have been the same Bigfoot, it was a beautiful, clear, and sunny summer day. It was pine forest with plenty of trails and some old jeep roads for the military. We used to find plenty of small arms and empty bullet casing. On to the next one. In the 80s, I was employed by one of the railroads in North America. I was part of the track workers' crew and we were generally sent out to repair tires, tracks, and ballasts in order to keep the trains running safely and avoid any derailment issues. We were going out daily, working on a couple of stretches of track between Albany and Eugene that were in need of some maintenance. I was driving in the Spiker, which is a small vehicle used to pound rail spikes into the new segment of tracks years ago. This would be all done using manual labor, and even today, on small jobs, men still beat them in with a spike maul. Nothing happens quickly on the work crew, with safety being first and foremost. So, for a fair amount of each day, I was sitting and waiting to be called into position for my unit to work. It was actually at lunchtime when most of the crew were sitting together that I had decided to nod out for half my break, and I remained sitting in the seat of my vehicle. This was not uncommon. Many of the guys used to take a little cat nap for part of their lunch break, in particular the older men. 
The rest of the crew was a fair distance away from me when suddenly I awoke. And for what or by what, I didn't know. I had simply opened my eyes in a somewhat startled kind of way and looked at my watch. I thought someone had poked me to wake up, but I didn't see anyone. So I sat in my seat and closed my eyes again before I had a chance to fall back asleep. Clank, clank, clank. I heard what sounded like a rock hitting my spiker and rattled around the metal work. And I jumped out of the cab to see what, if anything, I could find. I figured one of the guys had tossed a piece of gravel at the machine to spook me and was hiding somewhere laughing it up at my exposure. But yet, I saw nobody near to me. We were in a very desolate location, with this section of the rail being carved through the wilderness for many, many miles. I sat back in my seat and opened up a book to begin reading, when, clank, another rock hit the engine cover. And as I turned my head to look, there, standing in the pines at the edge of the woods, was a huge, reddish-brown Sasquatch. I yelled out to the crew to come over, and the beast didn't even move. It was standing behind some long boughs, rocking back and forth. There were six men, two of which were trotting towards me, and the others were walking, with most of them saying, What's going on? or something of that sort. I was pointing, saying, It's a Sasquatch, and the two guys who were the closest got a peek at it before it turned and vanished into the wood. As the other guys made their way over, the three of us were already yapping about how we couldn't believe it, and yet I and they had seen the beast. I started telling everyone what led up to me seeing it, and we were all amazed that this thing was real. The distance between us and the Sasquatch was no more than 75 feet, if that, and I had a really good look at it for about 30 seconds before it turned away. It was about eight feet tall and completely covered with reddish-brown fur or hair. I could see jet-black eyes set within very dark and deep eye sockets, and it had an enormous protruding brow, which seemed to hang over the rest of its face. It also had a really broad mouth with virtually no lips, which looked like a wide slit across its face, and it was closed. The nose was very large and flat, with the front portion being kind of bent down, forming a point of sorts toward the mouth. None of us could quite make out why the Sasquatch would be tossing rocks at me unless it wanted to get my attention, which seemed really odd considering as soon as it had gotten it, it turned and fled. Maybe it would have stayed longer if it was just me, but... When the crew came making all sorts of noise, it ducked back into the forest, and that was that. I wasn't a believer before that day's event, but I can tell you right now that I am. Bigfoot is definitely alive and well in Oregon, that's for certain.
everybody. Hope everybody's doing well during these crazy times. I know we are on a stay-at-home order now. I know a lot of you probably already are, but because of this, I decided to... I haven't posted in a couple weeks, so I'm going to start giving you guys the uh, Sasquatch series. I'm going to start doing these videos like two to three times a week. That way, my subscribers have something to watch from me. So I hope you enjoy. Um, I know it's been a minute since I've uploaded, so I do apologize for that. If you are new to the channel, make sure you like and subscribe. Hit that notification bell. That way you get all the new uploads that I post. Today's story is out of Coshocton County, Coshocton, Ohio. This one hits close to home. It's, it took place in Woodbury Wildlife Area. Now, what's interesting about this area is it was forested and mined in the 1800s all the way up to about the mid-1900s, and they had to replenish or replace a lot of the resources they had taken from this area. They planted a lot of trees, uh, mainly they did that part in the late 1800s, and they actually dug about 150 ponds, and a lot of them are spring-fed, and it's great fishing. Now, if you guys get a chance, because of the lockdown and the weather is super nice, get out there and do some mushroom hunting they're popping up here so you might have a good opportunity to find some and look for bigfoot you have a better chance of finding bigfoot than toilet paper with all that being said i hope you guys do enjoy this video one more thing i might add i just now noticed looking at the map that this is actually very close to the uh salt fort um wildlife area which is where a very recent um you know story of bigfoot took place in ohio where guys caught uh, some pictures on their GoPros and on a trail, trail camera. It's a very controversial video. A lot of people think it's fake. A lot of people think it's real. So this seems to be a hot spot. So hope you guys do enjoy. Sit back, relax, and let's get going. It was July. It was a hot morning. Around 4.23 a.m., I left my house for an hour and a half drive to Coshocton County, Ohio. I was headed down mainly to check on our house and property we inherited after Grandpa had passed. We had some tenants that moved out recently, and I came to mow and check for maintenance. Now, Grandfather's house sat on a mile-long gravel road, and it was right next to Woodbury Wildlife Area. I was going to fish the various mini ponds that nobody hardly ever fished. These ponds that I was headed to were full of giant smallies and crappies and massive catfish, snapping turtles the size of spare car tires. It was truly an amazing place to fish, beautiful wilderness, just an amazing place to grow up. Grandpa fished it all the way up to age 86 years old, till he couldn't do it anymore. I believe he lived there just for the fishing. Once he couldn't go anymore, he passed away just six months later. He was a jokester, but there was a couple stories he would always tell me that I wasn't sure to believe or not. When Grandpa was in the Navy during World War II, he said one year on Christmas Eve, they took a big Christmas ham, put on a massive hook and chain, and caught a 12-foot great white shark. He said it was pretty common for them to catch 12 to 15-foot hammerhead sharks, and they would get four to six at a time as hammerheads often swam in schools. The second story he used to tell me was a Bigfoot story. In this encounter, 
and happened in the early 80s, actually at Woodbury Wildlife Area, at one of the secret ponds we'd go to, the grandfall referred to as Reefer Lake. Now this encounter took place actually in Woodbury Wildlife Area in the early 1980s, in a pond grandpa always referred to as Reefer Lake. It was down a well-beaten path in the middle of nowhere. There's a giant beaver dam and hut still there to this day that has actually been there most of my life. On this particular day, Grandpa was bobber fishing with massive creek chubs, trying to catch the big bass that reside in this pond. He was coasting along and enjoying the day when he started to hear splashing near the beaver dam, and he was headed around the corner to check out the commotion. And he thought very well that he was going to see one of the large beaver that lived in the pond. He was wrong. He said he couldn't believe his eyes. It looked like a man in a gorilla suit that was chest deep in the water, facing the bank. And there was flies around its head. And he thinks that's why it was actually in the pond, was to get the horse and deer flies off of it, which were extremely bad that year. Now, he said when it turned and saw him, he said it, he couldn't believe how much his face looked like a man. And as soon as it did notice Grandpa, it bolted out of the water into the thick brush. And he told me that it was massive, probably six foot seven to seven foot tall. Grandpa swore on these stories till the day he died. And even though he's a jokester, I truly believe that's what he saw, even though myself, I had a hard time believing in Bigfoot, as I had never seen one. And I always thought it was just a myth. And I was wrong, too. Once I had finished mowing for the day, checked the house and got my stuff set in and headed out to do some well-deserved night fishing. It was about 5.30 in the evening, and I was headed to one of the best ponds that I knew to go to. And I was going to try to land a couple nice smallies and maybe some crappie for dinner. As I turned on the county road, 286, I had no idea that my perception of things was about to change forever. This old road was a gravel road and it was windy, full of woods and tall brush on the sides of the road. As I came around the bend, I noticed something large and black kneeling on the side of the road just outside of the tall grass. The first thing I saw was a long extended hairy arm and what appeared to be roots of some kind in its hand. When I say it was kneeling, it was actually on all fours in a stance much like a gorilla would do with his shoulders out. As it looked up at me, I knew I was staring at a Bigfoot. What happened next is what really blew my mind the most. It bared its teeth as it peered at me and shook its head a little bit like a chimpanzee or great ape would do. This freaked me out, and I hit the door lock. As soon as it made that sound, it turned, went crashing through the brush and trees, and made a whoop sound. It terrified me. I actually left that night and left all my stuff down at the house. I didn't even get a chance to fish. My name is Gary Wallace Jr., and that's my Bigfoot story. Thank you. BFRO report number six, year 1992, season, fall, month, October, state, 
Oregon County Lane. Location details. This was one of the regular camping areas on Waddle Lake. I couldn't tell you the exact spot without going back to the area, which I would be willing to do. Nearest town, Oak Ridge. Nearest road, Highway 58 to Waldo Lake Access Road. Observed. While we were tent camping at Waldo Lake in the Oregon Cascades, at about 4 a.m. we heard a moaning howl. My wife woke me up and said that there was a bear in the camp. I heard the howl and had no idea what kind of animal made that noise. Another camper a few hundred feet away had dogs that started going crazy barking. The howling went on for about 20 minutes to a half hour. Our German Shepherd started growling. We got up and got in the car with our sleeping bag, still thinking it was a bear. At about 5 a.m. and still dark, the other campers left in a hurry in his pickup. It looked like he lit about a half gallon of Coleman fuel in his fire pit. The flames were probably six feet tall. We did not see or hear anything else that night. The next day, I walked around and looked for signs of the animal. I walked around the other camp and did not see anything. We joked about Bigfoot coming that night, but I was shocked this last year when I was listening to some of the Bigfoot recordings on this site and then heard the moan howl from Columbiana, Ohio. That was exactly what we heard and it gave me the chills. Also noticed, about an hour before the incident at 3 a.m., we had gone up to use the outhouses several hundred feet away. Other witnesses. My wife and I and dog were sleeping in the tent. There was another camper nearby that appeared to get scared and leave in a hurry. I did not get a chance to talk to them. Other stories. Just from what I've read online. Time and conditions. It occurred at about 4 a.m. It was cold and clear. I had a thermometer that indicated about 20 degrees Fahrenheit that night. Environment. This is a forested area. We were camped about 30 feet from Waldo Lake. Follow-up investigation report by BFRO investigator, Dr. Wolf H. Fahrenbach. The house sounded to the campers to be about a quarter of a mile away, and each vocalization lasted about three to four seconds, first rising and then falling in pitch. The witness stated the vocalizations below were exactly what they heard. And here they present a link to the Ohio Howl. Another report, number 1778 from Lane County, one of many. BFRO report number 7. Year, 2000. Season, Fall. Month, September. State, Oregon. County, Lane. Location details. It was near the Diamond Peak Wilderness area, maybe within five miles near. We were about five or six thousand feet in elevation. Nearest town, Oak Ridge was the nearest town. Nearest road, an old logging road with a dead end. Observed. Myself and my two cousins were out hunting. I had met up with my younger cousin and we both hiked up to an old logging road. We then heard a very loud scream come across the valley. It was about a mile or so across and the scream seemed so loud at first I thought that some lady was screaming for help or something. The screaming lasted for just a short time, maybe 30 to 45 seconds or so. I asked my cousins what the sound was and they said they have never heard it before, even though they have hunted these woods for about 7 years now. 
I then remembered that I read in a book that Sasquatch sometimes makes a loud screaming noise. I still do not know exactly what made that noise. Also noticed, nothing. Other witnesses. There were three witnesses, including myself. We were waiting on an old logging road for my older cousin. Other stories? No. Environment. It occurred in the Cascade Mountains, with ponderosa pines and Douglas firs being the most abundant trees in the area. Follow-up investigation report. My conversation with the primary observer convinced me that these young hunters heard a scream call with sufficient volume, timbre, and pitch to be associated with Sasquatch. This remote high mountain forest wilderness area near Diamond Peak is prime habitat for this exclusive primate.
welcome back to Buckeye Bigfoot, where absence of proof is not proof of absence. Tonight's first encounter comes from Gerald. You probably remember him. Gerald was the one that created the cute Twas the Night Before Squatchmas poem. Remember that? Yes, this is from the same Gerald. Okay, so grab your snacks. Let's start rocking. This is my brother Ray's story. Before going into the specifics of his encounter, I want to say a little bit about my younger brother. Ray was a fireman for 20 years before he retired and became a state fire marshal. He is one of the toughest and most resilient people you will ever meet. Some of the tragic sights he saw as a firefighter would make some men weep, while my brother would just bear down all the harder. He is one of those guys who can get by on a cigarette instead of a meal or a drink or a night's sleep. He is scuba qualified, so he was on his department's recovery team and would bring in the bodies of drowning victims from many of the lakes in his little town. The pressures of being a fireman broke up his first marriage, and then he had an incredible good luck to meet and marry Joanne, the vivacious curly-haired brunette. Her optimism and charm brought him back after a couple years of depression. Joanne is smart, funny, and cheerful, not in that ever ongoing, annoying way, but genuine and sincere. She's cool and unflappable. Joanne grew up in Chicago, but her family loved to get out and camp here in the Midwest and out in the Far West. Her love for camping fit right in with Ray, and she knew a million good ghost and campfire stories. These events took place in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, near Paradise and the Tacknan River and the State Park area. Ray and Joanne were camping with two other couples, Mike and Carol and Mark and Tina. Mark was also a fireman. The six of them were in two vehicles and had parked in a small forested lot and backpacked into the primitive camping area, which Ray thought was maybe an hour and a half or two hour hike. It was a beautiful area and it was early June, so the growth was spectacular and fresh. My brother, like me, has always experienced an almost spiritual joy in the wilderness. They made camp and there was a nice fire ring already in the place. Ray said the campsite was clean, that whoever had been there before them had not left any trash or litter like you sometimes find. He said it was a good campsite in a small clearing and to the west was a creek and an overgrown trail picked up beyond that. That first night they grilled burgers, roasted corn and had their s'mores. Though they did tote in two lanterns, they made a huge bonfire. They talked and told stories. There was a lot of insect drone, no wind. Joanne was telling the midnight caller when Ray said he felt the forest grow unnaturally quiet. He could see eyeshine outside the circle of campfire light, but he couldn't see what it was. During a pause, everyone picked up on the silence and some thought they could hear footfalls. No one saw anything, and eventually the forest noises returned. Later, when they crawled into their tent, Ray told Joanne about seeing the eyes shine, and she said she had seen it as well, but was mystified about what it might have been, because it was taller than you might expect for deer. Ray told her it was probably an owl, and she said it must have been a big one. They went to sleep. Now, my brother struggles to sleep on the ground when camping, 
So he lay there for a long time, the comforting sound of Joanne's breathing beside him. Ray noticed again a drop-off in the insect sounds. He listened and thought he could hear someone walking outside the tent. Now that's not unusual as you often get deer or raccoons approaching a campsite at night. But Ray thought the footfall sounded more deliberate and that whatever it was, it was walking on two feet. He thought maybe someone else was having trouble getting to sleep and had maybe gone out to pee or just to watch the moon. Then he realized he hadn't heard the sound of any tent flaps being unzipped when he heard the distinct click, pause, clack of something disturbing the rocks around the now burned down fire. Dear, don't do that. Then Ray told me he heard a long, though low exhale, and that whatever outside made that noise sounded big. Bear? He wasn't sure. He was ready to unzip his own tent when he heard and felt the footsteps coming closer. They approached the tent, and Ray was on alert now. Then he said something touched the top of their tent, and this was alarming, because that tent was a large one with a ridge pole over six feet off the ground, and no normally sized person would be able to lean across the tent roof to do that. Some of his tension must have communicated itself to Joanne because she woke up then saying, What? What? Ray held her arm and made a low shushing sound. Together they listened as their visitor slowly and deliberately walked away. Ray said he really didn't think it had been a bear. The next morning dawned clear and uneventful. Ray and Joanne didn't know whether to tell the others what had happened or not. No one else mentioned anything unusual, and they decided not to alarm anyone by describing the events. No injury or damage had been done, though Ray did closely inspect the fire pit and confirmed the rock circle had been disordered. In the early afternoon, Ray and Joanne, with Mark and Tina, hiked over to the creek, crossed the shallow water on rocks, and began hiking on the trail. Mike and Carol stayed with the campsite. Ray said they found a low area where there were hundreds, maybe thousands of tiny peeper frog hatchlings, like the trail was a living carpet of these small amphibians. Further on the trail, it wound past an old and abandoned house. Ray examined it and noticed the nails were all the old square kind. Evidently, this had once been a farm and the trail a proper road because past the house was another clearing with a big junk pile and a lot of old and beat-up appliances, ancient things that had been discarded here. Second-growth timber now overspread the trail, and it was obvious no one had dumped junk here for many years. Just past that area was when Ray said he got a clear feeling of foreboding, that they were being watched, spied on, by persons or animals unseen. He mentioned this to Joanne, and silently she nodded. She felt it as well. Ray was about to say something to Mark and Tina when the forest again grew quiet. No insect sounds, no bird calls, just a little low rustle of breeze in the treetops. And that's when they saw it. They were downwind of a slight embankment and there was a small rill at the bottom, and on the far side of a fallen log, 
A large bear sat digging in the earth. Ray took Joanne's hand in his and was just about to say, Hey, there's a bear. When the bear turned its head over its shoulder to look at them, and then it stood up. Only it wasn't a bear. Joanne quietly said, Oh my God. Ray said it was a Bigfoot, obvious as obvious as the nose on your face, and this was no bear. The thing was standing on two huge legs, like tree trunks. It regarded them, and Ray said what he remembered most was its huge girth, that at the shoulders it was the width of two or three men. It was a dark reddish brown. Its face was bare and flat, with small eyes, a peaked head, and very small ears and a large and flat nose. Ray said it wasn't human, but it had a human aspect about it. They all saw it now, and everyone stopped. The thing pivoted slowly, and looking directly at them, it sniffed the air slowly. Ray said that's when he got scared, really scared, because it was clear it had seen them and it had a dispassionate yet clear intelligence. He and Mark turned the women around and said, let's go, let's get out of here. It took them maybe 40 minutes double-timing to get back to their campsite, and Ray said he felt afraid but numb at the same time, like he was watching himself from outside his body, and he was wondering, how are we going to handle this? The six of them had a quick conference and Ray and Joanne told the others about the preceding night's events, and it was decided to pack up and hike out of there. They had no firearms and no real weapons, just a couple of hatchets. Ray said it was tense to gather their gear and get everything packed without stopping every few minutes to reconnoitre the surrounding woods and get ready to travel, but that everyone managed themselves and they began their walk out. They had been hiking for a long while, mostly in silence when Ray said they heard owl calls behind them and to their sides. But every one of them knew those weren't owl calls. Ray said he is pretty sure they were followed out of there by at least one or two of the creatures, though he didn't see them. And that was the toughest time because he knew they were getting close to the vehicles and so could leave. But was there one ahead waiting for them? But they got to the vehicles, loaded them quickly, and left. They stayed the next two nights in motels, and what hiking they did was on large, well-established and busy trails. And that is the end of their story. If you ask my brother if he believes in Bigfoot, he will just grin. He will put his arm around his beautiful wife, kiss the top of her head, and he will just grin at you. Minnesota is called the land of a thousand lakes, and there's a cabin on every one of those lakes, I think. In September 2017, my wife and I needed a bit of a break, so I rented one of those cabins for us for the week. The cabin was very nice. Truthfully, I couldn't have afforded to rent this particular cabin if it wasn't off-season and we were getting a great discount. Truthfully, it was more of a small house than some rustic cabin. It had air conditioning, internet, and satellite television. It was pretty upscale for a cabin, but again, it was off-season, so we got it cheap, and besides, 
we weren't going up there to watch television or surf the internet. The first night there, nothing happened. On the second night, there was lots of banging noises coming from the other side of the lake. Now, I did think that was kind of odd because there were two larger chalet-like cabins that we could see on the other side of the lake, but there hadn't been any lights in either of them and no activity during the day, and there weren't any lights in them at that time that I heard the banging. As far as I had gathered from the caretaker when we checked in, there were only two cabins rented out that week in that group, ours and another couple a few cabins away from us. I went out and stood on the porch deck that looked out over the lake. I looked to my right when I saw another light come on, and a few cabins down I saw the other couple also coming out on their porch deck. We could clearly see each other. We sort of nodded to each other and shrugged after a while before we each went back into our cabins. The next day, we managed to meet up with that couple from the other cabin and struck up a conversation. They had been there for a few days longer than we had, and they said the banging wasn't the only odd thing that had been happening. He said that the night before we arrived, they were sitting out on their deck enjoying the night sky when something started making an awful screaming noise, not across the lake where the banging was coming from, but behind the cabins in the woods across from the loop road. It hadn't happened since though, he said. Now, I didn't know quite what to think, but there was that banging going on, so I thought anything was possible, and if he said he heard a scream, he heard a scream. I'm not a hunter, so I don't know all the sounds wild animals make. The lake area had small boats that you could paddle out onto the lake with. So one afternoon, my wife and I paddled out and around the lake just to see what we could see. It was an overcast day, but visibility was good otherwise. There really wasn't a lot to see, just more trees and a few other cabins that I don't think belong to the same group as ours, but they were down on the other end of the lake. Overall, it was just serene and quiet. I was getting pretty tired, so I paddled closer to the shore and followed it back and decided to head to our neck of the lake. That's when my wife saw the Bigfoot. She saw it first, then grabbed me, then I saw it. It wasn't moving. In fact, I almost missed what my wife was trying to point out to me as we slid by on the lake. It was a solid color, dark brown as far as I could tell. I'd say we were around 50 feet from it. We weren't far from the bank and the trees came down low to the bank in that area. I could not see its eyes, but you know when you are looking at something and it's looking right back at you even if you can't see its eyes. That was what happened right then. It was a few seconds as we slid by on the lake. I remember turning on the crossbench in the boat, looking at it as long as I could as we passed beyond it. And I saw that its shoulders had also turned and watched us retreating on the lake as we went by. I can't really judge the height. I don't know what the ground was like in that area, if it was standing on a depression in the ground or if the ground was level. I was also looking up at it at a slight angle since the bank rolled upwards. I will say its overall appearance to my eyes was much larger and taller than any human. That's as far as I can go. At that distance, 
I can't say much more for certain. Once I got over my initial shock, I began paddling like crazy to get back to the cabin. I suddenly wasn't tired anymore. I don't think fear or being afraid are the right words to use here. Intrusion is the word I want to use. I felt like we had somehow intruded, as weird as that might sound. We got back to the cabin, and my wife and I agreed on all the points about what we had just seen. Then things began to make sense. We debated on whether or not to tell the other couple down the way what we had seen. But we decided to tell them, because it's not like we'd ever see them again. So if they thought we were crazy, well, no big loss. And yeah, they were a bit cool when we told them what we had seen. They quickly closed the conversation, and we noticed the private looks they were giving each other as we turned to leave. You know the kind. The ones that you have with just your eyes, and it's a whole conversation with your significant other, saying, these people are nuts. Snicker, snicker. But here's the interesting thing. They came back down just a couple hours later and suddenly wanted to talk to us more about what we had seen. Turns out, they had looked up the Bigfoot stuff on the internet after we left their cabin. That's when they ran into some supposed Bigfoot howls and screams. They listened to them, and they were certain that it was just what they had heard previously. Then they read about wood knocks, and that's when they decided they needed to come back down and talk to us. We didn't have much more to tell them. We couldn't tell them anything more. The other man wanted to go out on his own Finding Bigfoot expedition. I told him, you go right on ahead, but I wasn't going out there with him. So that's it, Nance. We heard the wood knocks, but we never heard the screams that the other couple heard. We did float by, and we did get to see it, but they never did. I want to say I'm sorry it wasn't an up-close kind of encounter with more detail and interaction, but that would be a lie, because I'm not sorry that it wasn't that way. The way it happened, with a good bit of distance between us, was just right for me. Thanks for letting me tell this. Bobby and Irene. 9 what are you reporting? Uh, I got a strange going on out here. Something just killed my dog. Something killed your dog? My dog went flying through the air over the tree. I don't know how it did it. Okay. Damn it, I'm really confused. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence, and he was dead when she hit the ground. I didn't see any cars. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence. 911, what are you reporting? Uh, we got someone or something crawling around out here. Did you see what it was? Was it a person or an animal or? I can't tell. All I know is that my central light came on and I just happened to glimpse and see this thing running across the yard. A good sized man or something looks like a man. I don't know what it was, just that it ran across the yard. Okay. You've had problems in the neighborhood before? Yeah, my dog was killed here just recently. I don't know what it was, whatever it is, it's running. I couldn't catch it if I was going to chase it. But whatever it was, it was standing up. I'm out here looking through the window now and I don't see anything. I don't want to go outside. Jesus Christ, you better... Sure. See ya. Hello. Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine. I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh-oh. Okay, hang on. He's right... Is he in your yard, sir? Yeah, God, he's big. Okay, what's he doing in your yard? He's looking at me. Oh. 
And the guy is on foot. Just... I don't know. What, it, it's, it's a big, real big person. That's all I can say. Okay, but it is a, it is a person. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it was a person or somebody really big. But he's all in black. He's... Is he a black male or a white male? Did you actually see whether, or was he just wearing black? He's all black and he's big. He is big. BFRO report number eight. Year, 2004. Season, summer. Month, July. State, Oregon. County, Lane. Location details. The campground is about eight miles southeast of Jarena Lake. Nearest town, Cottage Grove. Nearest road, Sharps Creek. Observed. July 17, 2004. My two sons and I were camping this weekend at the One Potato Mineral Campground, just up the Forest Service Access Road from Mineral Camp. We were hiking up the steep road leading to the ghost town mining area in the early evening. We kept talking about a strange bird sound, the whoop, 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 and just dismissed it as some weird bird. I happened across your website because I was looking for information on the Bohemia Mine. I had chills and goosebumps when I read your journal entry. We also heard heavy footsteps outside our tent on Saturday night, July 17. Then in the very early morning, around 4am, I could smell something really nasty. Here, something had marked our tarp in our tent. The urine smell was so strong we had to leave our tent tarp behind. I really do believe now that we had a Sasquatch encounter. Whoa. Other witnesses. 2. Time and condition. Early evening. Follow-up investigation report by BFRO investigator Dr. Wolf H. Fehrenbach. During their evening hike, the three participants each independently and simultaneously got an acute feeling of being watched and returned to camp at a run. The nighttime step were distinctly bipedal and of slow cadence. The odor was definitely not a cadaverous one, but an intense, dirty animal aroma. The witness could not be positive that the animal had, in fact, urinated on their tarp or just touched it. Their small dog, which had furiously barked at a visibly approaching cougar, was silent and cowered inside the tent when the nocturnal events happened. And today we're talking to Randall. How are you today, Randall? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. It's a hot day here, but uh, we're, we're enjoying it. Yes. Uh, it's my understanding that you had uh, some uh, possible Bigfoot activity in your area. Uh, would you please start out telling us what state you're in? Yes, I'm in Central Mass. Um, I'm not I'm like seven miles from the Quaggan Reservoir, so it's uh, it's pretty woodsy out here. You know, it's uh, very country. Okay, uh, can you tell us maybe what uh, what happened, uh, what was going on, what was you doing, and what did you hear, what did you see? Sure. Um, I, well, I actually didn't see anything. It's what I heard. Um, it was about 1, one o'clock in the morning, and um, I was in my parlor, and I had the TV kind of loud. But I, I heard a noise from outside, so I, I turned the volume off on the TV to see what it was. And I heard this strange noise, and it was coming from a, from a distance. And it was... Um, 
it was something you could tell it was some kind of animal making a noise but i couldn't tell but eventually it got closer and closer until it was like right outside my house and it actually scared me because it, it sounded like it was coming from something very large and it the, the noise um I, I can't actually duplicate it because it was it's not something like a human could do i don't think it um it sounded like almost like a big eight but it also was making like whistling sounds like almost like birds uh whistling sounds like high pitched you know, in between like those eight noises, it was it was very very weird, but it was also very scary. Um, and cause I, like I said, I live out in the country, and and I'm out like on a corner of, of a, um, a lot, so there's, there's not even street lights out there. Um, but I was actually scared to even um, put the light on to see what it was because, I, you know, I, I live in the country, you know, for many years, and and I know all the animals, and th- this was nothing that I've ever heard in my life. This was this was something very bizarre. And so what I did was I I, I listened on. Um, on YouTube, and I found an actual match for what I heard. Um, it was going back to um, the early 70s that show uh, In Search of a Leonard Nimoy, and he did a, um, a, a thing on um, Sasquatch in the, uh, in the Sierras, and he had a recording on there of, uh, you know, of what they um, what they made out in the woods there, and um, it, was, it was an almost identical match. And a few days ago, I, I saw another one on YouTube that was recorded up in the Sierra also, and it sounded identical. And, um, and, and that one says this was an actual recording of a Sasquatch. So that's, for right now, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a believer of something because I, I didn't see what it was, but there was no mistaking. It was like right outside my house. It was very, very, it was scary. And I had to go to work like an hour later. And, <laughs> you know, you had, I had second thoughts when I was going to work, but I had to go to work, you know. Well, could you hear any, uh, like, brush breaking or anything like that? No, um, it, it was... Um, I just, I, all I could hear was that, that voice, and it was like, it sounded like it was right on the other side of the wall of, of my house. No, uh, no, have, no thumping of foot tracks or anything like that, didn't sound like? Um, no, it, it, and, and the net, what it was, it was heavy rain outside that night. It was, it was like the January thought. It, it was in January, and it was about 55 degrees at night, and so there was patchy snow out there. The, most of it had melted, though, during the day because we had that big rainstorm, and um, it was real foggy out that night. Now, when did this take I, place? This took place, it was like in the middle of January. So we had a, um, a heavy rainstorm, and it was, it was like a January thaw. It was real warm that night, and, you know, for January. It's usually like 20, 25 degrees out where I live at that time of the year, but that night it was the thaw, so it was really warm. Have there been any other reports in that area of uh, strange sounds or anything? Um, I, I did see a report on, um, it, was, it was on the Internet, that there were these policemen that when um, they were going hunting, this was um, out in Brookfields. This was uh, last year, I believe. And um, they, they saw one when they were hunting. And they said it was not a bear. And they don't know what it was, but it was like four or five um, off-duty police officers saw it. Did you go out and look around uh, after it got daylight or that evening looking for tracks but, or anything? Yeah, I had, I had to go to work. And when I came home, that's what I looked for. But I think all the heavy rain we had during the night, and, and the ground was still frozen underneath, so it was kind of hard for it to leave a print or anything. Um, so I didn't see anything. But I, I can add to the story. Something happened last um, last Friday night, and it was about 7.30. It was just starting to get dark at my house. And um, and I heard two rocks were thrown through the woods, and it, they, hit, they bounced off the trees. And I, I didn't see anything because it's too much foliage. Uh, but I live right behind a big hill, and up on top of that hill there's, um, there's big rocks and there's, like, caves that was left from the glaciers. 
and there's, there's a lot of those deposits up in my area. Um, so I, I don't know what's up there, but, but you know, whatever was able to throw a rock, it, you, I could hear it whistling through and, you know, hit the trees coming down. And when there was two of them that was thrown, but I didn't see the stone. I, I could just hear it. Well, uh, to throw a rock, you basically have to have some kind of human type hand, uh, a deer or something like that's not going to pick up a rock and throw it. So it has to be something that's got a human type hand if it's throwing rocks. Yes, yes, I, I think you're right, sir. Okay. Uh, are you going to get out in the mountains and look around your property there? I mean, are you going to get out in the woods and look anymore? Or? Well, I, sir, to be honest with you, I, I don't know what it is. And, and I, you know, I've heard reports that the most part there, they don't bother people. But I don't know if you go into their domain. I, I don't know. I don't know how safe it is, you know, but there's something there, you know. Well, now, it could be dangerous. There are uh, reports of uh, attacks and things like that. And there's a lot of reports of rocks being thrown at people and stuff like that. So if you do go out, you know, I would uh, caution you, you know, to be, be careful. But if you, okay. if, you, if you get any more uh, sounds, if you can get uh, any recording of the sound, that would be very helpful. Yes, I, I will. That's the only time I've ever heard that. But it, it lasted a good f um, five minutes. Wow. And it was, it, it, what it did was, those sounds, they were all the same. It was like a call. That's, that's what it sounded like. It was the same thing over and over. Uh, and it, it would last maybe 15 seconds, and it would pause, and then it would do it again. And um, it was very strange. Sounds like you could have some activity around your house, so you you know it might be uh, might be wise to sort of keep an uh, ear out for it and an eye out for it because it may be getting real close to your house. Do you know if um, do they stay in one area or do they have or no one really knows that or if they uh, they move around looking for food or? Well, there's a couple, like there's a couple of theories about that. Uh, some people think they migrate and. Uh, and it's not been actually proven, but I would imagine they, at times of the year, they do travel, maybe due to weather or due to food sources. I, that's, that's my opinion. I think they do travel around some. Oh, okay. Because I do know of reports where uh, maybe an area had a whole lot of activity a certain time of the year, then the fall and winter would come and the activity would totally disappear. So it may be oh. something that's just passing through, or it could be something that's going to stay around a while. Okay, I, I did have some um, some other information. I'm not sure what it is. My my daughter was on a field trip with school last year, and she went out to the quabbin, and they they kind of went a little bit out of where they were supposed to be, and inside like there was like a mud area, and they they got these tracks there. That it was my yeah my daughter. She's the one that uh, found it, and she when she was on a field trip, she sent me the pictures to my phone. I still have those pictures. Um, I'm not sure if they were human or what they were. Um, they, they look, you know, kind of big, you know. Well, uh, could so I, I get you to send me those pictures? Or... Those. What's that? Could I get you to send me those pictures in an email oh, or, or on Facebook? Or sure. Something? Yes. Because that, that would be uh, that would be something interesting. How far is this from uh, where you actually live? Um, that's probably like a 20-minute ride, so it's probably maybe uh, 15 miles. So that's not too far. No. And uh, I appreciate you doing the interview. And uh, if, if you don't care, I'll uh, I'll send you a, maybe an email link to send me those pictures of the tracks. Sure. And we'll add that into the story. And uh, and if anything else develops, you, you make sure to contact me. I definitely will. And I uh, thank you thank you for doing the interview. Oh, you're welcome.
in for night view. Oh, 
There's two of them across the creek at the big rocks. Bigfoot Talk. That's what this CD is all about. Bigfoot's voice. Voices, actually, because we've heard more than one of them. It seems like most everyone's heard about Bigfoot by now. Anyway, in legend and in life, something we're certain of, they're hair-covered human-like animals that walk on two feet just like us. But they're not humans. Not like us, anyway. People who've been lucky enough to catch a glimpse of them say they're almost spirit-like, the way they appear and disappear so mysteriously. No one has caught one yet, or even found a body or bones. But they have to be flesh and blood, because they walk about and leave their footprints behind as proof. Big footprints. And we know something else about them. We know they talk and jabber amongst themselves. We know this because they talked and jabbered and carried on in the strangest way in our presence, even with us.
crazy? We don't think so. I don't anyway, and that was me and one of the big guys going back and forth at our hunting camp in the High Sierra Mountains of California. This was in September of 1974. I don't have any idea what the thing was trying to say, but it was really a lot of fun having the encounter, and we wondered about it, that's for sure. Here we are again. I could say something like that. Can't pronounce what you're saying. It's a hard act to follow. He sounds like he talks to others and they talk to each other. Yeah. My name is Ron Moorhead. I live in Mariposa, a small foothill town near Yosemite National Park in California, and I own businesses there. Whether or not you believe it, you are listening to true recordings of Bigfoot creatures in their natural environment. We know these are naturally occurring primate voices. We have the evidence that establishes that much. Although we had these recordings studied in the late 70s, we've always welcomed any expert that's willing to give it a go using the newer technology that's available. But so far, nobody's been willing to step up to the plate. It's safe that way, I guess. Anyway, I'd like to share these unique recordings with you. You're going to hear just how close these creatures can come to imitating our voices and our language. A close friend and I were deer hunting that fall and had just arrived in camp on our horses when the excitement began. We had heard these creatures before and had seen their footprints around camp. But this time we found a footprint on the trail, hours before getting there, so we were pretty sure that they were around. What was so neat about it was that we hadn't heard anything from them since the fall of 1972, two years before. The way they carried on then, the sounds were more ape-like and quarrelsome, or bickering to listen to, like this. They sounded like they were full of nervous tension and emotion, and sometimes it spilled out abruptly in incredibly rapid-fire burst. Go ahead, try to imitate some of that. It isn't human, like human voices played backwards. These sounds have been studied for just that, and for any kind of fakery that could add up to a hoax, it isn't there. What is there are raucous but very real flesh and blood voices, and they're unquestionably primate. But why us? What had provoked these mysterious creatures to suddenly and noisily reveal their presence to this small group of hunters?
Back in July of 1971 is when it all began. It all started after Warren Johnson, a poultry plant manager, and his brother Lewis, who worked in a valley sugar refinery, hiked into camp to scout out the deer population in advance of hunting season. That night, only a few minutes after they had gone to bed, inside an enclosed shelter they had fashioned out of deadfall logs, they heard a loud clatter and bang of pots and pans downhill at the camp stove. They thought it must have been a bear scavenging for food, but the sounds they heard were different and confusing to them. When they went outside to look after things had quieted down, they saw a big five-toed footprint in the mud where a teapot full of scalding hot water had overturned, and the track they saw wasn't a bear's. What they heard was something like this. The snarls and growls could startle anyone, but Warren and Lewis carried sidearms, and with the protection of the log shelter, they were less fearful than curious. A week later they returned to camp armed with small tape recorders to see if the thing would return. This time when they went to bed, they left the pots and pans stacked in such a way that if anything touched them they would come crashing down and make a loud racket. The recording which follows is poor quality, and it has a lot of background noise, but it is the very first that we know about of one of these creatures sounding out close enough to be heard and recorded. The creature was very close, and it didn't sound real happy. That was then. Listen to these creatures now, three years later. To me and my friend Bill McDowell, it seemed as if they were happy and glad to see us. That snort you may have heard was a horse. People say horses shy away from these things. Well, Bill and I had ridden our horses into camp that day, and all our animals did, as in all our encounters before when we had them with us and these creatures were around, would stand dead still with their ears straight up, pointed towards the sounds. This is real stuff, from real encounters with real flesh and blood creatures that left huge five-toed footprints around our hunting camp. It's eight miles one way, up and down some pretty steep country, just to get in or out of this place. The trips we've made and the problems we've had on this trail over the years could make a story by itself. It can get really exciting wrangling the mules in and out of this area during thunderstorms, especially when a bolt of lightning blows a tree up in front of you. 
On the switchbacks, I've had a couple spills over the edge with my horse. That's when my mule decided he didn't want to go any further. Then, of course, there's the rattlesnakes you can run across on the trail. They can really put an edge on your day. I said all that so you'd be aware of the effort that it takes to get in and out of this remote area. Because of their big footprints and gigantic voices, we got to calling them, collectively, Biggie. And Biggie will probably become known to the world one of these days, as surely as Africa's great apes are known. And these close-in, emotion-packed vocal displays should represent a valuable step towards that discovery. Our encounters in the Sierras started with a single accident, being painfully scalded with boiling hot water from a teapot and becoming angry at his mistake. But Warren and Lewis didn't react by yelling or shooting their guns, and no harm had come to the creature from the humans inside the shelter. Could it be this was the turning point for this particular Bigfoot family? The thing that made it seem okay for them to come around and show off their voices? Who knows? What we do know is that it was exciting when they were around and we had fun with them. And for their part, we think they were having fun with us. But were they? Mostly yes, it seems. But sometimes there were sounds of anger and frustration, a sense of exasperation, and a profound sadness in their vocalizations. BFRO report number 9. Year, 1982. Season, spring. Month, June. Date, 2nd. State, Washington. County, Grays Harbor. Location details. Abbott Hill. Warman's Bar. Elma Gate. Porter Creek. Nearest town, Elma, Brady, and Matlock. Nearest road, Highway 12. Observed. On numerous dates listed within the report, 
those witnesses listed above, and I had occasion to examine unusual scenes which, to date, have been undetermined as to the origin of the evidence found. It should be noted that all materials used to process said scenes were supplied by the individuals themselves and the results thereof are retained personally by said individuals. Copies can be made available on some of the evidence with consent of the owners. The time involved was donated by the individuals as well. Thereof, this report is merely a documentation of facts observed by myself and includes some comments made by those listed. It is not submitted as an official case report per se. This, the Grays Harbor Sheriff Department, has been asked and graciously accepted to act as caretaker of this documentation. On 4-22-82, at approximately 16.09 hours, I was contacted at my residence by a private citizen, name withheld at request, in reference to a number of large tracks found in a fairly secluded area of the eastern portion of Grays Harbor County. The location is known as Abbott Hill to the local residents and is rarely traveled or visited. It consists of a two-year-old clear-cut of privately owned timberlands, surrounded by second-growth timber and a heavily vegetated forest floor. There is presently one road around the clear-cut and one dividing the clear-cut with short spurs off of each. I was escorted to one of these spurs and was shown two large, what appeared to be footprints with human features in an area along the base of a fire trail. The tracks were obviously made after the rains and before the sun had dried the mud as there were virtually no rain pockets in the major portion of the track. They were approximately 46 inches apart and the toes of each track pointed the same direction. No other tracks were visible in the muddy area or along the grassy edge. A distinct trail could be found leading from the top of a small hill downhill through 8 foot high salmon berries, devil club, blackberries, and other intertwined plants. The plants were either broken over entirely or the tops were broken. The trail measured 36 inches across and was approximately 150 foot long. It ended on the roadway at the point where the aforementioned tracks were observed. I photographed both tracks and made a plaster cast of the left foot. The tracks measured 15 and a half inches long by 6 and 3 quarters inches wide at the longest and widest points. At the deepest point into the mud, the track measured one and a half feet deep. This plaster cast was retrieved as evidence by me. A hair was removed from between the second and third toes of the left track and sent to the Institute of Cryptozoology in Tucson, Arizona for analyzation. No results have been obtained at the time of this writing. More tracks were observed, photographed, measured, and processed at the end of the spur, approximately one-fourth of a mile from the first set of tracks. The longest step at this location measured nine feet between steps and only the ball of the foot was distinguishable at the end of each nine-foot step. From there, a trail of broken vegetation and matted grass went down the hillside into ragged clear-cut and drainage. The perimeter road was searched for further sign to no avail. At the same time, I was informed of more tracks located seven miles west of our present location along the Satsup River at a place called Warman's Bar. Upon investigation, I found two separate sets of tracks together, both starting from under the water 
traveling westerly and ending in hard-packed gravel which made tracking difficult at best. These tracks were photographed and measured by me. The largest was 17 inches long by 7.5 inches wide, at the longest and widest points. The smallest was 15.5 long by 6.5 wide at the longest and widest points. Both sets were made in hard-packed river sand and appeared to have been the result of great weight being placed on each foot. The steps measured from 52 inches down to 39 inches. No casts were made of these due to the lack of plaster of Paris. Upon returning to the scene with the proper casting materials, I found only portions of the tracks due to those made by curiosity seekers. On 427-82, I was informed by Officer Jim Young of the Oakville Police Department of numerous tracks discovered along the Chehalis River in an area known as Elma Gate Boat Launch. According to Jim, these tracks were followed approximately half a mile upstream. Sergeant Verrill Hutchinson and I went to the area where I photographed, measured, and processed the scene. Hutchinson retained the cast of the left foot. The measurement was 15 inches long by 6 and 1 fourth inch wide at the longest and widest of the left track. Further investigation revealed by a trail of approximately 1 mile. Steps measuring from 59 inches to 34 inches. On 523-82, I was contacted at my residence by a pastor of a local church and requested to the Porter Creek area for investigation of large tracks sighted in a fairly secluded area of Capitol Forest. I contacted Mike Bim and we met the pastor and were escorted to the scene. There were four tracks found in the area. Numerous photos were taken of the tracks, slide film, and two casts were made of two tracks. Mike Bem retaining one, I the other. An aspen tree was scratched in such a way indicating five fingers or like items were used to make marks. The lowest mark was located 72 inches from the ground and the highest was located 98 inches from the ground. This portion of the tree was removed and is held as evidence. Numerous branches were broken from 8 feet to approximately 11 feet in the trees. A wad of approximately 12 ferns minus the roots were found at the creek along with two new growth portions of aspen branches. A subsequent search of the opposite bank of the creek revealed numerous tracks traveling downstream. The area the tracks were located is a sharp bank covered with ground salal and devil's club. The tracks were followed approximately 1.5 miles and were lost at the edge of a clear cut. Of the sightings investigated, no two tracks were of the same measurements. The largest distance between the sightings was between the Elma Gate and Abbott Hill, approximately 9 miles. All the sightings indicated something of great weight, 600 plus pounds, with steps varying from 32 inches between to 59 inches between, varying the two of 9 foot between each. At the Porter Creek and Elma Gate scenes, there was evidence of obvious foraging. At all the scenes, there was evidence of great height and weight and a lack of tracks to indicate the evidence was placed there as a hoax. Follow-up is continuing. Also noticed, areas date of occurrence, 422-82, 422-82, 
1272. Other witnesses, Harry Ford, Dennis E., Deputy, Michael Bem, Deputy, Vero Hutchinson, Sergeant, Ronald Whiteman, Sergeant, James Young, Patrolman, Oakville Police Department, Oakville, Washington. Environment, Stream and Riverside Areas. Follow-up investigation report. Evidence collected. Eight plaster casts, privately owned. 24 BMW 35mm Kodak photos. 36 Kodachrome 35mm color slides of scenes. 12 color photos, 35mm of scene. BFRL report number 10. Year 2003. Season summer. Month August. Date 1 through 30. State Washington. County Lewis. Location details between the town of Morton and Rife Lake. Nearest town Morton. Nearest road Highway 12. Observed. This all started when we were asked to be night watchmen for a logging company to watch the big equipment during the summer months of July and August. It was last week of July when we got there. First incident, we went fishing at the pond there, and as we were there for about one hour, and all of a sudden we heard a strange short scream with a deep tone off to the one side, then behind us was another short scream. 
which sounded like a response to the first scream. The sound of these screams startled us to as what this could be. My boyfriend has been a hunter and has lived in around these areas for years, and never has he or I heard a sound like that. Fifteen minutes or so, another scream came back and forth to each other while we were in the middle. Then, about seven ducks come out of the bush right at us as more screams were let out by this thing. We immediately ran to the car and went to drive back to our trailer. Another duck came through the trees and flew directly into the windshield as I kept driving. About two days later, as I was checking the equipment and making sure they were all locked up, as I was walking back down the hill, the sun was on the back side of this thing. It looked as though something was down in the water drinking. I could hear the snorkeling as I was standing there thinking possible elk, but because the fur seemed to be dark and long, kind of a burnt red color. As I stood watching this thing, it looked to be a huge log standing up with lots of fur. I couldn't move. I just froze. I couldn't scream. I simply couldn't move. This thing turned and took one huge step over the top of a log on the ground, and I thought it was coming after me. Then I finally started running down the hill to my boyfriend. Screams coming out of me, and screams coming out of this thing. I yelled as loud as I could for him to run to the trailer. We got over by the door of the trailer, and my boyfriend was still over by the car. He then heard this thing screaming as it was headed toward the trees. Then the branches were breaking as screams and then screams down behind us. We both went into the trailer. I was so scared I couldn't leave the trailer. My boyfriend went back outside and listened. It sounded as though it was done. He came back into the trailer and asked me what I saw. I told him this thing, it just came out of the ground. He said, a bear? I said, no, taller than a bear. It was like Andre the Giant just stepping over the rope. That's how big this thing was, eight or nine feet tall, easy. The following morning, we went out to look for some kind of footprints. Saw a couple about four foot split between them. The trees were uprooted, some were twisted, bend down, twisted, broken off, about seven foot up the tree. We decided to stay. Maybe we could communicate. We got communication by screaming through the construction cone, which worked almost right away. My boyfriend would scream through the cone, then about five minutes, this thing would scream possibly ten yards into the tree line. Either way, it was the same screams and noises as down at the pond. As days and nights went by, my boyfriend would keep in contact with this thing. It would answer all the time when it was close. The twigs and branches we placed in the ground, skinny side pushed into the ground. The trees were not the branches of the trees around pushed into the ground. We then saw stumps that were completely surrounded by branches and branches weaved into trees and looked to be beds we found handprints where the beds were. We found hair trapped into the ground like a straw bed. Other things were happening also, but I would like to talk to someone about this. I still have nightmares about this. Please, if you read my story, contact me. Thank you. Investigator's Edition The following is a narrative based on an interview with the witnesses at their home on 3-15-08. The witnesses arrived at the logging site on July 20th, 2003. Their job was night watchmen over the logging equipment. It was their responsibility. They were on duty all night. They were off duty during the daylight hours while the equipment was being used. First sight, 
The first location is where most of the activity occurred. From the gate, the pond is three miles up the road on what they call the main line. The trailer was parked a mile further down the road beyond the pond. A large clear cut was on the north side of the trailer site. A road ran north through the clear cut, bending to the east about in the middle. A spur road extended north from the bend in the road and extended at the tree line. First encounter, the pond. Date, August 1st. Time, dusk. Moon, new. The couple was fishing at the pond in the late afternoon. They had been fishing for about an hour when suddenly the first creature screamed. Then, in a few seconds, the second creature screamed. It was just getting dark. The witnesses could not see what they were, but said that the creatures were only about 40 yards to each side of them. The first creature was across the pond to the right side, and the second creature was on their side of their left. The second creature was just beyond where they parked their car. Not knowing what it was that was screaming, they became afraid and decided to leave. As they were rapidly trying to get to the car, a flock of ducks was flushed from the brush at the end of the pond where the first creature screamed from. The ducks were very spooked. The witnesses jumped into their car and began to head towards their trailer when two very frightened ducks rocketed through the timber between the pond and the road and one actually collided with the driver's side mirror of their car. Second Encounter Eyes in the Clear Cut Date August 2nd Time Midnight to 1am Moon New Location Up in the Clear Cut Near the logging equipment, which was parked about halfway between the road and the tree line along the right side of the spur road. Later that night, after the encounter at the pond, they walked up the road into the clear cut to check on the equipment. They took a laser light pin with them. After checking the equipment to make sure it was locked up, they were looking to see what might be out in the clear cut, like deer, elk, bear, etc., when they saw three sets of red colored eyes close to the ground in the open, just to the left of the spur road. The eyes moved from the left of the road up onto the road. When the witnesses shined the laser light on the creatures, the eyes seemed to bob and weave trying to duck away from the laser light. The creatures stayed close to the ground, with one set almost on the ground, and the other two higher up. When the laser light hit the creatures, they could see hair about four inches long. Then one set of eyes rose up to be about six feet above the road. They assumed it stood up. Then all three creatures turned and walked away, up the spur road to the tree line. At the tree line, they turned left and headed down through the trees. The witnesses said that they could hear branches breaking as they walked. They could also hear vocalizations periodically. It sounded like two people who were very annoyed and complaining. The screams were short vocalizations, like shouts, and were exactly the same as they heard near the pond. That ended the second encounter. Third encounter. Whistling. Date, August 2nd. Moon, new. Time, late afternoon to dusk. Location, halfway between the pond and their trailer, on the north side of the main line road. The next day, the witnesses decided to take a walk. It was late afternoon. They walked from their trailer back towards the pond and then up a cat road for a distance. They then turned around because it was getting dark. The boyfriend was getting an uneasy feeling about the situation. As they were walking out, they began to hear a flute-like whistle. 
When they would stop to listen, the whistle would stop. When they started to walk again, the whistle would start up again. Whatever was making the whistling sound followed them all the way back to the main road. They could not identify what was making the sound. Fourth Encounter The Little One Date August 6th Time 11.30 p.m. Moon Half Full Location At the creek which ran down from the clear cut and passed the trailer. The female witness went to get water from the creek. She was up in the clear cut a short distance at a place on the creek where it was easy to fill up water jugs. She was crouching down filling up her water jugs when she looked up and saw two yellowish looking eyes framed by black, shiny skin. She could see the eyes, nose, cheeks, and forehead. It was five feet away but down on the ground looking up at her. She said softly, you stay right there, and backed away. She went to get her boyfriend. When they came back a few minutes later, the creature was gone. Fifth Encounter The Big One Date, August 7th Time, 10 p.m. Moon, a little more than half full Location, in the clear cut at the head of the little stream that flowed out of the clear cut and past the trailer. The next night, just at dusk, they could still see well enough to work on their car, which was having problems. It was about 10 p.m. There were big black bees that kept them inside the trailer during the day, so they went back out after the bees went away to work on the car. The female witness walked up the road leading into the clear cut to check on the logging equipment and make sure that the doors were all closed and locked. Having done that, she was walking back towards the trailer when she heard this snorkeling sound over by the creek. She walked over to take a look at what might be there and saw this big fur-covered butt about 60 to 70 feet away. At first, she thought it might be a bear or an elk. It was on its knees, bending forward, drinking from the creek. Then it stood up as if in slow motion. She said that it looked like a big stump just growing out of the ground. Then it stepped over a three-foot-high stump. She said the creature was eight to nine feet tall and moved like Andre the Giant stepping into a wrestling ring. She said the hair was a burnt red color with gray tips. She then ran in fear down towards the trailer, screaming as she ran. She stated that she didn't know if it was chasing her or not, but she could hear it screaming also. Her boyfriend, hearing her, walked across the road to see what was going on. He said that the creature was moving away, screaming. He said that it threw a fit up in the trees. It was yelling and screaming, breaking trees and branches. The screaming was the same sound as they heard down by the pond. This was the first time they realized what they were encountering. Sixth Encounter Tree Breaking Date August 8th Time Approximately Midnight Moon A little more than half full Location 40 yards from the trailer the same night, they saw the big one in the clear cut, they went out to get water from the creek, but stayed close to the trailer, within 40 yards. They wanted to be close enough to run to safety if necessary. While getting water, they heard a creature walking in the woods close by. The boyfriend threw some rocks in the direction of the sounds. The creature reacted to the rock throwing by violently shaking a small tree. It shook the tree so hard that it fell over. This scared the witness, so he fired his one shot into the air to scare the creature away and yelled, stay away. At this, the creature went silent and walked away. 
After the shot, the male creature made a call from above and behind them in the clear cut. By this time, they could identify the two individuals by the sound of their voices. The male makes a louder, deeper call. The female voice is a higher pitched, not as loud as the male, and has a distinctive short howling sound she makes at the end of her vocalizations. After the fifth and sixth encounters, they started walking into the woods during the day looking for tracks. They found impressions in the moss which were quite large. The interesting thing about the impressions is that there would be a deep heel print, then an undisturbed space, then the front of the foot. The stride was four and a half feet. At one muddy bank, they found a track where the Sasquatch tried to step up the bank, but its foot slipped and made a long five-toed slide mark in the mud. They began to find stick structures in the shape of tripods and teepees. There were large ones and very small ones. The interesting thing is that the structures were made with the tips of the poles inserted into the ground and the root end up in the air. They found lines of single poles stuck in the ground, tip end down, like trail markers. They found lean-to type structures made against a large tree, and there was what appeared to be a sleeping nest under it. Inside, they found hair, which looks like elk hair, and a full handprint. The handprint was close to human proportions, but dinner plate large. They found a log laying on the ground that had sticks arranged leaning on the log at even intervals. The couple constructed their own teepee near where they found the stick structures in the sleeping nest. The idea was to make a structure as a blind and then hide out in it at night to see what might show up. They leaned poles up against the side of a big stump and lodged the lower ends into the stump roots. Then they wove sticks horizontally. They spent several hours that night inside this blind. After a few hours, with nothing happening, they decided to go back to the trailer. They said, I wonder what the Sasquatches will think of our structure. As they were walking away, they heard one of the Sasquatch hoot at them. They were being watched the whole time. The next day, they went back to check on their structure and found it disassembled, and the sticks neatly stacked in three piles. Later, they decided to try to mimic the calls they were hearing. They used a construction cone as a megaphone, and by making a call while sucking in air, the male witness was able to imitate the calls. When he called, the creatures would almost always answer. This interaction continued intermittently until the end of August. The creatures seemed curious about them and hung around at each of their three locations where they camped at. They would hear vocalizations from time to time. They said that it would be what they called the squawk call, and sometimes there would be wood knocks or rock clacking. They heard both the male and female. The couple was stationed at the first logging site for about one month before being moved to the next logging site about a mile away. This move happened around the 1st of September. Second site. The couple stayed at the second site for about three weeks. During this time, they would hear heavy, raspy breathing from time to time as one of the creatures walked by the trailer. There was a lot of human activity at this time. The Sasquatch curious about them, but left them alone. Third site. They stayed at the third site for two weeks. At this site, they explored the woods around the area. They found stick structures, impressions, in the beds. The third week of September, they told the logging crew boss about what they had seen and experienced. He was not surprised, but said, don't tell anybody. 
He said that they were afraid that if it was proven that there really were Sasquatches, then the woods would be closed to logging. The next day, the witnesses were fired. They were told that their services were no longer required. This was supposed to be a six-month job. Three days later, while they were in town, the logging company pulled their trailer out of the woods and left it by the highway. Also noticed, footprints, hair, and vocalizing with my boyfriend using a construction cone to mimic his scream. The thing responded back on several occasions while we were there as a watchman for a logging company for two months total. Other witness, boyfriend down at bottom of hill who heard the screams of this thing, an awesome display of power as it stormed through. The tree breaking and uprooting violently as it seemed to be as scared as I was. Other stories. Not until we went to the library of Rife Lake area and found some information we tried to contact someone, but we didn't have an address up in the hills. Please, like I asked, if you would please contact me, I would greatly appreciate it. Time and conditions. It was right before dark. I was up the hill and the sunlight was coming down the back side of this thing. Environment. Near the clear-cut area in wooded sections. Follow-up investigations. Follow-up investigation report by BFRO investigator Scott Taylor. The witnesses were interviewed by phone and at length in person. This report is unusual in that there was an extended time of interaction lasting two and a half months. I found the witnesses to be very reliable and consistent, giving details that only people with extended time in contact with the creatures can know. Based on the witnesses' accounts, in the on-site evaluation at the location, which resulted in some Class A and Class B encounters by the investigators, I can only conclude that these two witnesses did indeed have interaction with the family of Sasquatch. And that's all I got for you today. I want to thank you for tuning in to my episode. I've been watching all the support that's been coming in, flooding my uh, page, and I extremely appreciate it. I see all your support, and I appreciate it. Got some cool things lined up for the next couple episodes coming. Uh, in the middle of making all of this uh, episode. I have found some pretty awesome stuff that I didn't quite have room to put on my uh, Halloween special. So uh, keep an eye out and ear out for my upcoming episodes on really awesome subjects. So until next time, be kind, be safe, love each other, love yourself. Happy Halloween. And until next time.
So 